Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee, somebody say every knee, should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Sometimes you can just read it and already be preaching. Amen. I want to tag this last message of our series. The five-star church and the secret to sacrifice and service. You may be seated. For those of you who are new to the series experience, we launched the series talking about the five-star church and the anatomy of a church that loves. Our second week, we talked about the five-star church and the secret to contentment. The third week we talked about the five-star church and the secret to endurance. And today we want to close it out by talking about the five-star church and the secret to sacrifice and service. In his book, Dedication and Leadership, Douglas Hyde, Reverend Blackburn, explains how the Communist Party succeeded in their program. He says that as a Communist Party member himself of 20 years, he understood their philosophy. And he points out that the Communists never ask any man to do just a little job. No, they always ask them boldly to undertake something that's going to cost them. In other words, they make big demands and they always get a ready response. Mr. Hyde calls it a willingness to sacrifice. He says that one of the most important factors of their success of the communist program was their youth department. He said they asked the youth to be prepared to study, to serve, to give, and to obey. And he said this was the key that kept them believing in the communist regime because they was challenged to do something. A pastor once told a story about his little church. 
He said that one night in church council meeting, they were studying the Youth Sunday program. And one of the members suggested that the teenagers of the church serve as ushers and leaders and lead in prayer and bring special music. But one of the babies stood up and said, quite frankly, we're tired of being asked to do little things. The child said, we want to do something difficult this year and something that we can keep doing all year. The youth said, the kids and I have talked about this and we prayed about it. And we like to work with the trustees in remodeling the basement so we can use it as a youth room. We like to start visiting the elders every week and taking them the cassettes of the service. And if it's okay, we like to have a weekly witness on Sunday afternoon in the park. We hope this is okay with you. The baby sat down and the youth pastor smiled to himself because he had just challenged them in Bible study to do something that'll cost them something. He knew the sacrifice that was needed and necessary if they were going to grow in ministry. New Beginners, can I tell you that the test of the submissive mind is not just how much we are willing to take in in terms of suffering, but how much we are willing to give out in terms of sacrifice. Can I turn the light on? I got to challenge you to do something or you won't do nothing. I can't ask you to do what you already know how to do or what you've been doing for the last 25 years. I got to push you in the area where you've never been. And I've got to command and demand that you rise to the challenge so you can test what's in your heart for God. Are you listening today? Today I'm going to talk about the secret to sacrifice and Christian service. Tell your neighbor, this might hurt a little bit today. When we come to this text today, Apostle Paul is pushing the church of Philippi to do something with what God has entrusted to them. Can I turn the light on? The entire New Testament in the letters are letters that really are about stewardship. They're letters written to the church to know what the church is supposed to do with what God has given them. Y'all in here? So I got three points I'm going to argue today and I'm going to get on out your way. Number one, I'm going to talk about the submission of Jesus. Number two, I'm going to talk about the service of Jesus. And then I'm going to close arguing about the sacrifice of Jesus. Look, at t look with me in the text. The Bible says in verse 7. <clears throat> verse 5, I'm sorry. Let this mind be in you. You see that right there? Which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Paul in this letter, New Beginnings, is charging the church to do something in this verse. 
He's calling for them to change from the way they were into another form. He wants them to change their thinking and their perspective. And that's why he says, so let this mind be in you that was also in your Savior. He wants them to allow for the mind of Christ to rule them, to rule their thinking, to rule their behavior, to rule their desires, to rule their total being. This is literally an invitation for them to allow Christ to invade their world. I think verse 5 is a wonderful invitation for us too today. Because it beckons for us children to give up our mentality that we may embrace God's mentality for the very best of our lives. It challenges us to have a submissive mind for a greater call. See, see, your mind ain't good enough for your world. <laughs> You need God's mind if you really want to live. See, see, God wants you to have his mind. And he wants us to think like him and to give up ourselves like him. If we would let the mind of Christ be in us, Reverend Mason, we could be much better believers. Would anybody argue with me right there? If we could let the mind of Christ be in us, Deacon Lord, our thoughts would change. Anybody tired of the way you think? If we let the mind of Christ be in us, our actions would change. Anybody tired of misbehaving? If you let the mind of Christ be in you, your desires would change. Anybody sick and tired of desiring that same old stuff? If you let the mind of Christ be in you, your decisions would change. Dare I ask, anybody tired of making the wrong decisions? If you let the mind of Christ be in you, your living would change. Your giving would change. Your service would change. Reverend Brown, our obedience would change. Listen to the challenge. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It almost implies that the mind you got ain't no good. You need a new mind. I know I'm just talking to me. I know my head is messed up. Come on, talk to me. Ain't nobody got to tell me my, I got a messed up head. I, I know my head is messed up. That's why I'm in church on Sunday morning. I'm trying to get my mind right. Anybody else in here trying to get your mind right? You're trying to get your mind right. Come on, say preach, Reverend. Well, look at part two of this verse. In part two of this verse, we discover what was actually on the mind of the Savior. In other words, here we discover that submission was what he was thinking about. And it was this submission that caused him to do, Jesus to do, what he did for us when he came down from glory. Let me read it to you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse six, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Can I open that thing for you? Here we discover a very powerful thing about what Jesus was thinking about. 
And John MacArthur commenting on this says, though Jesus had all the rights, honors, and privileges of deity and was worthy of all of them, he didn't think it beneath himself to give them up for a season. Y'all hear that? In other words, Jay, this is what the beautiful mind looks like. The triune Godhead. And he's trying to get us to look like him. To think like him. To imitate him. And to follow his submission on earth. He, he said he didn't think it as a form of robbery to be equal with God. Uh, let, let me share some more about this. This this form of robbery is not like the form of robbery that you and I think of when we think of a stick-up kid. He's talking about equality here. He didn't think it was wrong or beneath him to submit to his father. Some of y'all think it's beneath you to submit to one another. You think that's robbery. Why should I submit to him? I got more education than him. Why should I submit to her? She ain't got no man. Why should I submit to them? He ain't even got a job. And he just got out of jail. Come on, talk to me. But the body of Christ is called to submit to one another without thinking that it's robbery to do so. Are you listening here? In other words, all power is in the Father, is in the Son. And all power is in the Holy Spirit, is in the Son. So Jesus didn't think that it was robbery for him to submit to the plan of the Father through the work of the Spirit. Y'all in here today? That's just good Christology. Are you here? And here's what I want to argue. Let me begin. Here's what God is trying to show us in the series is that five-star members got to have a mind like this. A mind that don't think it's, it's, it's robbery for you to give up yourself for the cause of the kingdom. A five-star membership uh, is a membership that has a mind of Christ that influences them to change their ways. The five-star member ought to have the mind that encourages them to lay down themselves and to take the form of a servant. The five-star member ought to willingly, thank you, Elder, give up themselves for the good of others. Oh, I got one okay and a yeah right there. Listen, listen. This is what makes your church powerful. When everybody has the mind of Christ and somebody say, I don't mind serving the children this Sunday. I don't mind singing in the choir. I don't care if I never get to lead a song. I just want to sing the praises of God. I don't care if not, if I'm not on the schedule to preach this year. I just want to be in the body serving somebody. That's the five-star mentality. The five-star mentality is I'm going to give up my tenth so that somebody can have food on the first of the month. The five-star church mentality is I'm going to pay my tithe so we can keep the lights on. We don't think it's robbery that we give up ourselves and submit to one another. No, beginners, let's work hard this year. And having the submissive mind, which is the mind of Christ. 
Ask your neighbor, what you thinking about lately? Ran across a story about the great Salvation Army and its founder, Dr. William Booth. A man named Wilbur Chapman was in London, and he had an opportunity to talk to Dr. General Booth, or General Booth is what they called him, <clears throat> who was just pressing a little bit over 80 years of age. And local Lonnie, Dr. Chapman listened reverently as the old general spoke of his trials and conflicts in the Salvation Army's victories. The American evangelist then asked the general if he would disclose the secret to his success. He hesitated for a moment, and then Chapman says he saw tears roll down General Booth's face. And Booth said, I'll tell you the secret. He said, the secret is God has been with me all down through the years. He said, there have been men that have greater brains than me. They've had greater opportunities than me. But from the time I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision for what Christ could do for the poor in London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth. He says, and if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it's because God has had all the adoration of my heart and all the power of my will and all the influence of my life. Dr. Chapman said he went away from that meeting with General Booth knowing that the greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his submission. Did y'all catch that right there? The greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his submission. Show me a man who's been great in God, and I'll show you a man who's totally submitted to the ways of God. Show me a man who's lukewarm in God, and I'll show you a man who God has no part of. You want to know a great ministry? Look at the submission of its leader. Point number two, the service of Jesus. The text says in verse 7, verse 6, he thought it not a robbery to be equal to God. Verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation. Y'all see that there? Taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Help me, Holy Ghost, just a little while. Here we discover, family, a very powerful picture of Christ, yes, emptying himself. You say, why did you use that word, emptying himself? Because it's the Greek word for reputation. It's called kenosis. In other words, Christ here, in his kenosis, denies, yes, denies uh, himself his own rights in order, yes, to give you something. 
The word kenosis is not the denial of one in himself, but rather the laying down of one's privileges and exercising none. In other words, the whole time he had the privileges and the right <laughs> to his deity on earth, but he denied it so that you might identify with him as your savior. Y'all, I missed y'all. I, I missed y'all. Some of y'all don't even know Jesus, so let me tell you what he's trying to do. The kenosis is literally, it's the knowing you should be served, but instead you serve. Come on in here. Come on in here. See, some of you, some of you want to be great, but greatness in your mind is people bowing down to you. It ain't you giving up yourself. That's why you will get mad and angry about serving. I don't want to be on this ministry no more. I want to do this or, or I want to do that. I, I'm tired. You lack kenosis. Jesus denied himself his own privileges to give us what we don't even deserve. Shame on you for talking about how tired you are. Shame on you for quitting midstream on your ministry. Shame on you for thinking you the only one with rights and privileges. When did you become Jesus? I told you earlier, I got put off the norm. This might hurt a little bit, amen. Kenosis, he, he emptied himself. Why would Paul use that word? I think he couldn't find a greater expression. He emptied himself. It's not a denial of one who is, but rather it's a laying down of one's privileges. And exercising none. In other words, Jesus had all authority and power as God. Yet he laid down his privileges as God. And look at this. And he took the privileges of a slave. <laughs> oh, talk about a bad transaction. He set aside his privileges, crumble, and in several areas. Can I give them to you right now? I know I got some Bible students in here. Garcia, good to see you, son. Five areas. Write these down. Number one, he set aside his heavenly glory while living on earth. What do you mean by that, pastor? He gave up his face-to-face -face relationship with the Father and the continuous interaction and personal enjoyment of glory. To come down and redeem a creation that didn't even know him. Number two, he set aside his independent authority. See, during his incarnation, and as he completely submitted himself to the will of the Father, he set aside his independent authority and did not do anything except what the Father told him. 
some of us, yeah, 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 we ain't laying down our independence for nobody. Pastor said we're gonna go right. I'm going left. He ain't my he ain't nobody. Pastor said, God said we need to build a building for our kids. Shoot, I ain't gonna be here. I'm I'm trying to build my own house. I can't go to my Bible study and his too. Jesus, though, in his own kenosis, gave up his independent authority. Look at them. Number third thing he did is he set aside his divine prerogatives. In other words, the voluntary display of his own divine attributes. And he submitted himself to the Spirit's direction. The fourth thing he did in his kenosis, he, he set aside his eternal riches. And so while on earth, Dr. Beckel, he became poor, owing and owning nothing. I missed some of y'all right there. I missed some. I know I did. I know I did. Because some of you not going to give him his tenth because your PG&E is due. Your car note is due. Your cable bill is due. So you'll deny God was his to take care of what's yours. He set aside his earthly riches to come down here and have a word like the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Fifth element of his kenosis is that not only did he set aside his heavenly glory, set aside his independent authority, set aside his divine prerogatives, set aside his earthly riches, but fifth and finally, he set aside his favorable relationship with the Father. And that he felt or he took the Father's wrath against you upon himself. Are y'all with me here? Wow, that's what kenosis means. He emptied himself. This is a picture of what true service looks like. He emptied himself. When's the last time you emptied yourself for the kingdom of God? When's the last time before you set your calendar for the year, you said, God, what do you want me to do this year? Not add him on after you done been to December. You looking back trying to find out what's left. Your job come before God. Your uh, enjoyment and pleasure comes before God. And so God is attack on or an add on. You're not emptying yourself. You're trying to find room where he can fit in. I'm just talking about. But he ain't through. Tell somebody Paul ain't through. He said he made himself of no reputation. Kenosis, right? Watch this now. Taking the form of a slave or bond servant and coming in the likeness of man. Did y'all miss that? In other words, part A was what I just finished talking about. 
ain't even got to part B yet. Y'all in here? Here we see that after he emptied himself, after Crawford he emptied himself, he kept on serving. And in his serving, Sister Wilson, the Bible says, look at this, y'all. He took the form of a servant and willingly did the will of the Father. Now, it's one thing to empty yourself. I was cool right there with that. I was like, okay, I get it. But now he's as if he's saying, Paul said, that wasn't enough for Jesus. Because after he had emptied himself, he still had more to give. Have you ever poured it all out somewhere and then woke up the next day and said, I got a little more left in the tank? That's what the picture is right here. And Zuliga, in his serving son, we learned that in him was a mysterious desire to become one of us. And then, watch this, never change his deity. In other words, he created us and then became the thing he created. When in all of his majesty, he was better off than we could ever imagine. Okay, y'all want more? I'll give you more. In his serving, we learned that he mysteriously laid down his form, yes, to pick up our form. When his form was much better in perfection. He was totally perfect. But then he picked up. Flesh. In his serving. We learned that in his own desire. That was rather a free choice. It was the sovereign plan of God. To cost him everything. But he put it on anyway. He didn't consider it to be beneath him. Or an injustice upon him. Even though there was nothing good in man. And man didn't want him in the first place. It's one thing to go someplace where they love you. It's another thing to go someplace where they hate you before you even show up. Are y'all in here today? I can lose a little help right about now. In his serving brothers and sisters we learned that this is what true sacrifice really looks like and what true service really means that's what it looks like in the church to serve people who never say thank you to do stuff for a community that just take your food and clothes and don't want nothing to do with your Jesus that this is what it means to have more ministry than you have money. But you can't quit. Because you, by some mysterious reason, have been called to do this. And you can't help but do it. You don't have to do it, but you just gotta do it. I don't believe this was easy, brothers and sisters. I don't believe this was a light decision. I, I don't believe this was something thought of in a vacuum. No, because this was going to be an eternal matter. 
Y'all in here? It was an eternal decision. And guess what else I found, Brother Ed? It was irreversible. Y'all in here? What do you mean irreversible? When he changed his form from the word of God, took on flesh, he couldn't go back without flesh. Because the word of God has now been embodied in flesh. Right now in heaven, there's a man. His name is Jesus. And he looks like me. He's got fingers like me. He's got toes like me. He's got nappy hair like me. He's got eyes like me. He's got hands like me. He's got teeth like me. He's got blood vessels like me. He's got a heart that beats like me. It was irreversible. of God. So it means something when you worship my king. Quit bringing my king some leftover songs. Some insincere prayers. Some half-hearted service. I'd rather you just quit and go home than bring him what you know he don't deserve. I might mess around and get a little attitude up here today. Y'all gonna help me preach it all? Somebody say, preach it all, Reverend. Listen, this was the creator of all the universe. He was the author and the finisher of the cosmos. Thank you, Elder. He was the sustainer of all civilization. And he was taking a chance on creation through his own incarnation. How dare you play church with him? Give him part of your week. How dare you hold back from the one who gave you everything? He's the sustainer of all civilization. He was God thinking about becoming a human. Not just any human, but a human servant. So there's a lot at stake. There was a lot at stake in the incarnation of Christ. Parenthetically, let me park the car and put a quarter in the meter. That's why you don't approach Holy Week lightly. Easter ain't like your birthday. It ain't like a Valentine's Day. This is the suffering servant who came down from glory to do something irreversible to change the course of your eternal destination. You ought to hear this week with a little more reverence. Come on in here. You ought to hear this week with a little more awe about who he is. This week ought to cause you to push back some stuff. Let go of some food and some TV. Cancel that vacation you had scheduled.
down for your spring break. Jesus didn't get a break. You ought to have this week with some high reverence for the one who came down to take on the flesh of humanity. Can I say some more? Before Jesus does this action after the kenosis, he then takes on the form of a servant. Yes. He would, in Old Testament times, only intervene through angels and or an occasional miracle. Sometimes he would appear as a theophany in the Old Testament. But never had he decided to become like one of them. So when you see this in the New Covenant, he never stooped so low to become like one of us. In other words, in the Old Covenant, brothers and sisters, he walked with Israel, talked with them, delivered them, fed them, clothed them, fought for them, watched over them, was a light at night, was sun in the day, but never a physical embodiment. Watch this now. Who lived and tabernacled among men. Now, I'm not one of these that argue that one covenant is better than the other, but I show like the New Testament more than I do the old. Are you with me here? In the old, I got to wait on him to show up. In the New Testament, he's already here. So if you just got to choose one, choose the one where he's with you right now. I don't want to wait till the enemy show up and hope Yahweh is there. I want to go into the battle knowing Yahweh is with me. <laughs> you just fight better when the Lord is on your side. Am I talking to you here? God was changing the rules in this passage. What do you mean, Pastor? He was changing the rules for how he was going to interact with his people. Hey, that's just so good. See, in the Old Testament, he had to interact through the priests. You didn't even know if God was talking to you or not. You had to go to Aaron and present your offering and hope that there was a word from the Lord. Now he is the high priest and he lives with you. So he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. My high priest is with me all the time. I can't wait till Sunday to show up to the tabernacle to hear no kenosis has taken place. Y'all in here? Look at this. Can I just argue? I know I'm going on and on on the tent. Can I rant a few more minutes? He became human, Armstrong. And came to live on earth as one of mankind. That's why we call him, Sister Jameson, the God man. Because he was 100% God. And now 100% man. Yeah. That's why Buddha can't compare to Jesus. 
Confucius or Muhammad can't compare to Jesus? Joseph Smith? Y'all in here with me? Any other false prophets and teachers? Nobody can hold a candle to Jesus. There's only one God man in the universe. 100% God and 100% man. I like one of the rappers, Christian rapper, he called him, he said it was 200% Rev, and I thought, mm, yeah, he was 100% man, he was 100% God, okay, 200%. I didn't do good in math, but I did go by the classroom, amen. Can I give you some more? He became more also than the God man. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, he took on all the essential attributes of humanity. And he identifies with man's basic human needs and his weaknesses. Y'all missed that right there. Talking about the creator of the universe gets hungry. The creator of the universe can take a nap. Y'all with me here? The eternal of the eternal creator of all the universe got thirsty when he was on earth. And I'm glad he did because that means, sons and daughters, that he can now identify with my human attributes. He identifies, Sister Elva, with my heart being broken. He identifies with the feelings of betrayal. He identifies when people aren't committed to his vision. He identifies when people don't appreciate him. He identifies when the enemies are on his trail. That's how he can be your savior. Because he identifies with every area of your life. See, Muhammad can't do that. Buddha can't do that. They might identify, but they can't do nothing about it. See the difference? Jesus can identify and change your situation. That's why you need Jesus. Are you with me here? You don't need him because he can make you rich. You need him because he can identify with you. Yes. Five Star Church. This is what true service looks like. We got to have a mind like this. A mind and a desire to lay down our agenda to be just like Jesus. We ought to have the same desire to go to great lengths for Christ as he went to great lengths for us. A friend in my library dropped this heavy thought on me, Reverend Tong. I thought you would appreciate it, so I brought it to you. He said, Wilson, even creation thinks about serving. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, have you ever thought of it? That only the small birds sing. So give me an example. He said, you ain't never heard one note from the eagle in your life. Even the turkey don't sing. The ostrich ain't never had a solo. But you have heard from the canary from the wren and from the lark. And he says, the sweetest music comes from those Christians who are small in their own estimation before the Lord. Yeah, so keep on serving. 
no matter how small you are. I said, now that'll preach right there. I talked about the submission of Jesus. I tried to do my best to talk about carry the service of Jesus. But let me close out my argument now by talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. Can y'all give me 10 minutes here? The Bible says in verse 8, and being found, yes, in the appearance as a man. Reverend Brown, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. When we come to this verse, <clears throat> we see a shift, Bible students, from Paul addressing the heavenly to now addressing the earthly. In other words, he begins to reflect on what happened after Christ became a man. Uh, he tells us that he kept on serving and being willing to serve. And because he was willing to serve, he humbled himself in all of his splendor and did what no one else dared to do. Note this. In his humility, Christ not one time demanded human rights privileges. <laughs> you ain't see him marching about nothing. That's humility. Can I say some more? In his humility, he subjected himself to the persecution and suffering that came from the hands of those he created. Now you know you ain't about to let your kids do nothing like that to you. In his humility though, unbelievers were allowed to do him harm when in his sovereign rule and power, he could have shut it down at any moment. But because of humility, he let it go. The text says that he humbled himself and, you should circle that, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Sometimes you got to reach back and find the old heads the OGs, the old school, the old fathers of the faith and pull back on some stuff they've said. So I blew the dust off my Matthew Henry commentary. Matthew Henry said this to me, he said, Wilson, his whole life was a life of humiliation. His whole life was a life of meanness, poverty, and disgrace. He had nowhere to lay his head and he lived off of alms. And on top of that, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Henry said, he did never appear with pomp and circumstance. And on top of that, he had marks of distinction from other men. This was the humiliation of his life. And he said, but the lowest step of his humiliation was the dying on the cross. 
What a sacrifice, you guys. He became obedient to death. Even the death of the cross. Listen, I know I'm living in North America and you've heard this a gazillion times, but shake it off and hear it again. Because it's implying that this is incredible. Why would somebody like him become obedient unto death? He doesn't have to. He not only suffered, Henry said, but he voluntarily did it. Because he said, nobody take my life. But I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I'll take it up again. Ain't nobody killing me in here. I'm going to lay it down. Why? Because my father needs me to. Can I say some more? He said something that blew me away, and I was so glad that I heard it. You ever know something, but you need to hear something to know that you really know it? He said that. You know, Angelus, Jesus obeyed the law that he gave Moses. He obeyed his own law because he knew he was going to fulfill the law. He never trusted man to complete the law. Man, impossible for man to keep the law. So he gave him an impossible standard, then became the standard, so as the standard, he can be the mediator to fix you and bring you into the right relationship. Why are you trying to keep something you can't keep? Can I say some more? And not only did he become the mediator between us and the Father, it was his honor. <laughs> he was obliged to die. No, that's a sacrifice. Yeah, that's a willing vessel. That's what I call amazing grace. You know, right, right there. Yeah, uh, this death on the cross, I, I think... Satan has done a marvelous job on our communities by having us to water down the cross. Yeah, well, we got cute stuff. We got little cross earrings, little cross necklaces. We put stickers on our cars. We have t-shirts with the cross. No, that wasn't the cross. The cross that Jesus carried was a curse to all men. It was excruciating painful. It was a shameful death. And no one ever volunteered for it. In fact, the cross was so that nails had to be driven into the nervous system of the human anatomy. And then the human was forced to hang there in the excruciating pain while their nerves were on edge. He did that to save you from your sin. Whether you think you needed it or not. When I look at this, I have a whole new admiration for Jesus. See, he was heaven's hero. But as heaven's hero, he took the form of death willingly. Uh, as heaven's hero, he subjected himself to the cruelest form of death ever known to man. As heaven's hero, he was the answer for mankind's sin. Yeah, yeah. And his death was the worst one ever recorded in history. Yeah. 
as the Lamb of God, willing to die for us, he subjected himself to the wrath of his only Father to please him and to satisfy the requirements for reconciliation for you and me. Have a little respect for Jesus. Have a little more reverence for the name. Treat it a little bit higher this week in your conversations. Know that he's more than a historical character. For never had a man talk like this one. New Beginnings, I believe God is trying to talk to you and I today. He's trying to teach us what the secret to sacrificial service looks like. And it looks like this. Jesus dying for the sins of the world. Is dying for another man's wrongs. Dying so someone else could live. Dying so that your living has purpose. Dying so that your father gets glory. Dying so that another may not have to suffer. Dying so that in your humility you may be like him. He's calling us to greatness by summoning us to live sacrificially. Are you down with that? Because that's what it means to be a five-star church. Now, if you don't want to be a five-star church, which is interpreted as a committed Christian, go on down the road to the one-star church. Well, they don't ask nothing of you. They don't need you to do nothing. Just show up, hear some good music, and go home. Go to the one-star church where they don't talk about dying and living sacrificially. Go to the one-star church where, you know, you got a 15-minute sermon and a 20-minute concert and you're free for the rest of the week. But in a five-star church, it costs you something. It costs your body something. It costs your mind something. It costs your salary something. And you might have to bleed a little bit in a five-star church. I got to close now. But I'm going to leave you with this story. The story is told about Abraham Benegar, who was a Swiss boy from Urich. He came to his parents to this country on the same ship that brought over John Wesley. During the journey, the lad's mother and father died on the voyage. So when he landed on America, he was all alone in a strange land. After growing up and becoming a man, God got a hold of his heart and gave him a passion for the Negro slaves who were serving on the island of St. Thomas. When he arrived to St. Thomas to preach the gospel to those who were lost, he was forbidden by the government to have any type of ministry to the slaves. For the government believed that only slaves could preach to slaves and that it was their policy to keep the blacks ignorant about spiritual things. So Benegar decided he was going to write the governor a letter. 
in his letter, Reverend Tong, he begged that he might become a slave. He wanted to denounce his citizenship that he might be eligible to preach the gospel to those who didn't have the gospel preached to them. The governor was so moved by this letter, he not only gave him permission to preach, but he gave him permission to preach not only to the blacks, but to the whites and to any other colors that were on the nation. I stop by to tell you that that's what God is doing in the earth. He's calling us to lay down American citizenship, take on the form of a slave, and preach to those who are lost in bondage of slavery. Anybody here today ready to change your United States citizenship? Anybody here today ready to give up your green card to take the slave ship of heaven and to preach to those who are lost and dying and on their way to a burning hell? Well, I got to leave you right here, but I don't dare get out of this text without reading the rest of the verse. The Bible says, therefore, since Christ did all that for the Father, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that's above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those of earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is glory to the God glory to the God his father well as I take my seat I'm closing with these good words from a trusted colleague on the weary journey Dr. William McDonald said commenting on this verse he said, Wilson, what Paul was doing right here was really singing the doxology of the first century church. See, that whole verse from 5 through 11 was a song that the early church sang in the midst of their worship experience. Paul just simply broke out in song while he started writing his letter. And I'm glad that he closed with that song. Because there ain't no music like church music in the midst of your trouble. I like this here. He said that Jesus has humbled himself. And because he humbled himself, God the Father highly exalted him. And the reason why he highly exalted him is because on earth they didn't respect his name. And in the highly exaltation of his son, the daddy said, they don't respect you on earth. But I've got a name that everybody going to respect. And this name, Jesus, is going to be a name that the universe is going to have to bow down to. The author said, on earth he bent his knees to serve humanity. So God has decreed because you bow down there, I'm going to make everybody bow up here. <laughs> That's just good news right there. I'm glad today 
So what do I listen, children? I listen is this. The way to go up is to go down. Y'all done missed it. The way to go up is to go down. We shouldn't exalt ourselves, but be rather servants of others. The lesson of God is an exaltation. Listen, God is in the exaltation business. If you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you in due time. So hang on, children. In the midst of your trial, God will see you through. Hang on, children. I know it's hard right now, but God will lift you up in just a little while. Hang on, children. Don't throw the towel in. Help is around the corner. Hang on, children. Loneliness don't last always. Hang on, Johnny. Your promotion is around the way. Hang on, tongue. God sees your misery. God sees your trouble. And just like Jesus, you got a name that no man knows on the other side. I got the clothes right here, but there's something got me inside of this text. He said that every knee shall bow. Did y'all hear that there? Every knee is going to bow down. And I stopped to think, who has knees? Only those creatures that walk on two legs. The creatures in heaven, the angels in glory, are going to bow down at the appropriate strike of the sound. And then those creatures on earth, from Africa to Zimbabwe, from America to Australia, from Russia to Asia, from Canada to Detroit, every knee gone bow. Get a call roll. The Muslims gone bow. The Jehovah's Witness gone bow. The Mormons gone bow. The Ku Klux Klan gone bow. The Black Panther gone bow. The Republican Party gone bow. The Democrats gone bow. The Independents gone bow. The whites, the blacks, the browns, the others gone bow. Every creature is gone bow the knee. And then I got real happy because he said, and those who are under the earth, you know who under the earth, don't you? Those who rejected him, those who denounced the gospel, those who refuse to believe, who are in hell right now because they rejected their ticket out of hell, they gonna still bow. And not only them, but the devils that are on reserve in the black bottomless pit, they gone bow. And that's where my soul got happy. Cause I ain't gonna know what you know about it. But Satan has been kicking my tail ever since I decided to be a child of God. Because I bow, he's giving me a hard time. Because I bow, he's attacking my children. Because I bow, he's after my wife. Because I bow, he's after my church. Because I bow, he's after my community. And I can't wait 
Old Testament was written down to hell. Yeah. So remind him when he's out on your trail. Keep on coming, Satan, because you're going to bow down. In a little while, he's going to bow down to our King and Savior. No more running. No more conniving. No more accusations. No more lying. No more temptations. He's going to bow down. Now that's worth an amen. That's worth an amen. I got to close right here. But I'm glad today that I bow willingly. I'm glad today I bow because I love to bow. I'm glad today I can't wait to bow. Oh, heck, I bow in the morning. I bow in the noonday. I bow in the evening. Every time I get with God's people, I'm trying to bow down because I like bowing down. Can I tell you why? He's worthy of my two knees. He's worthy of me bowing down. Now ain't that all right? If I were you, I'll bow while I can. I'll bow because I love him. I don't want him to force me to bow. Because if he forced me to bow, he's going to force me to depart from it into the lake of fire that burns with hell and brimstone. So bow down by your own free will. Because one day, one day, one day, you're going to be made to bow. Don't you get angry when pastors say, why y'all sitting down when it's time to praise and worship him? Only those who understand how good he's been can stand in the presence and worship God. Hey, but those who don't got it, well, there's another story. I'm bowing now because I feel like bowing. I'm bowing now because he's worthy of me bowing down. Is there anybody here that don't mind bowing? Is there anybody here that love to bow down? There's something special when you bow and pray. There's something special when you bow and worship. There's something special when you bow and say thank you. There's something special when you bow and rock. When I can prostrate in the presence of the Lord, he's been good. So good. He's been good. He's been good. I'm bowing now because he's worthy. Worthy of my submission. He's worthy of my service. He's worthy of my sacrifice. Bow down. Bow down. Bow down. And he's your God. And he's been good. High five somebody. Tell them bow down. Bow down. Bow, 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 I won't be able to bow no more. Y'all know what I'll do? 